Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. I'm Mikey. And we are back at you with season two, episode nine. How do you feel about this energy I'm bringing in? I save the silliness for when the show gets silly. <laughs> okay, this we're is very somber. Yeah, this is, a, this is, a this is art. We're talking about art now. Don't laugh, Michael. Art is serious. I know. Uh, so this is called Arbitrary Law. This is a huge episode in uh, the second season. Mikey argued the last great episode no, until the end. Um, yeah, it, we're about to take a, a dive into some less uh, less artistic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's better than saying less good. <laughs> yep, it is. It sure is. Um, all right. You want any thoughts before we start, or should I jump into no, Log but I, Lady? No, I love this episode. It's very good. A lot of, a lot of big acting, but good acting. Yeah, but I mean, and and but for an episode that did not get any credited direct Lynch involvement, uh-huh. feels very Lynch. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised he didn't, because I feel like a lot of big stuff happens here. Yeah, that he would want to have his hands on. It's written by the the three big writer, you know, Mark Frost, Peyton and Engels, mm-hmm. and directed, directed by, by Tim Hunter, mm-hmm. who his direct, who directs several episodes of the show, went on to have a great TV directing career. Does a lot of Hannibal. Hannibal is um, a very good show, and you can see a lot of the similarities, yeah. in, in the style of this episode. But it's there's a lot of Lynch-esque stuff and we'll talk about it later I guess but it's a very it's just a very very good episode Mm -hmm. Uh, probably probably the best episode not directed by Lynch I think okay uh, so we're going to kick off with the uh, Log Lady intro, um, which if you're watching the streaming, you don't have access to. They're only on the discs as far as we know. <laughs> um, and yeah, she... Uh, th- th- we've described this as sort of Lynch who directly wrote these sort of giving an intro through the Log Lady. And this one is... On the nose. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not as subtle as he normally is. Um so as a reminder, we found out who killed Laura Palmer last week. What? No, two weeks ago, actually. Two weeks ago. And then more things happened last week that were also bad. Um, what? Maddie died last week. Oh, Matt, No, Maddie died two weeks ago. That's what I'm saying. Hey, two weeks ago? Yeah. And then... What happened last week? Last week was like him driving around in the car with the body... And stuff oh like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah! You're right. So they found her. The scene I'm thinking of is they yeah. found her body. Okay, got it confused. I'm not confused anymore. So this is sort of the uh, you know the resolving action, so to speak, mm-hmm. after the climax. So now the sadness comes. The revelation. There's a depression after an answer is given. It was almost fun not knowing. Yes, now we know. At least we know what we sought in the beginning. But there's still a question. Why? And this question will go on and on until the final answer comes. Then the knowing is so full there is no room for questions. So this is sort of a, uh, a fuck you to the studios of mm. like not knowing was the whole point of the show. And they famously made him resolve. But then, but then also by the end of this episode, they ask a bunch of questions about why mm-hmm. that they never go in to answer. Like, mm-hmm. like intentionally be like, you know what, fine. We'll let you have the what. We're going to give you a new why. And then 
sit on that for a while, yeah. suckers. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Um, so we open on uh, Albert, Cooper, Truman, and Honks. This is our first visit with Albert in quite a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're kind of dealing with the aftermath of Maddie's, the discovery of Maddie's body. Um, Albert says that Maddie was... With which, for the first time ever, he's able to turn around evidence incredibly quickly. Oh, as opposed to, like, has to yeah. go back Yeah, oh, I gotta to... tell you, whatever, like, he identified this is a white fox fur from mm-hmm. a stuffed animal. With formaldehyde. Like, all this, like, gets all that stuff, like, identifies this stuff right away mm-hmm. now. Instead of it, oh, I gotta take it back, and then we'll see what we can do in this podunk town. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he sort of has a little, uh, he's sort of on the other end of his general grouchiness yeah. vis-a-vis Twin Peaks. Well, like, I, there's, like, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but, like, those shows or whatever where, like, a, a character is supposed to be either, you know, a skeptic or the, you know, anti-another character's uh-huh. journey or whatever in some sense, and then eventually you got to be like, you've seen this shit yeah, yeah, yeah. over and over and over again. At some point, you got to start believing in something mm-hmm. or have some explanation mm-hmm. for it. Like, uh, Psych is a good example. Yeah. How, like, uh, Lassiter is always, like, questioning whether mm-hmm. he's really a psychic and he's a terrible detective. And he's like, he solved all of yeah. your cases. Regardless of how he did yeah. it. <laughs> Maybe give him some credit for yeah. that. Like, it's just... A, it like it gets me like, a little one note. That show's a little fluffier or whatever. Yeah. So it doesn't matter as much, but, like... He's it, they've they've taken this character on the right journey where he's not just abrasive for no reason anymore. Sure. At least he's starting to realize that like I'm necessarily hundred percent on board for this, but w- there's some truth to what you're saying. We just got to figure. Uh, it out. Well, what I like about this sort of transition of of, of Albert, Albert's character is that he gets to be on Cooper's side in terms of like the magical thinking and outside the box understanding because he kind of pulls him aside and it's like you need to go on your like spiritual journey yeah. to figure this out he's very like because we saw in the last episode Harry because it wasn't just one heinous murder at this point right. now it's oh shit this is a, an ongoing threat. but we saw in the last episode Harry sort of I wouldn't say confront but approach Cooper and saying like when Cooper's like, I have a feeling about this. This doesn't match my dream. And Harry's like, actually... Need some evidence. <laughs> yeah, this isn't how any of it works. So even though I would never say that Harry and Cooper are really ever on opposing sides, they all they tend to present well, to United Front. But, um, but at this point, Harry is less uh, willing to go on this sort of metaphysical journey. And Albert comes in and sort mm-hmm. of plugs it's, that hole. It's interesting. It's the three of them you know all having their own methods and techniques and Mm -hmm. beliefs and ideas but all working together for the same common goal Mm -hmm. like they're not i don't believe you so fuck you i'm gonna i'm gonna put in roadblocks and make it harder for you yes i'm still however we get there i don't care right you take your method you take your route we're all going to the same place however we get there i don't care but let's get this monster you know off the streets or caught or whatever right. you know, the ultimate goal is and solve this thing. Right. Like they all have their own methods, but they're all going to the same common goal and nobody's while not agreeing with the other person, they're not tearing the other person down right. or making it harder for them yeah. intentionally, which is they're sort fantastic. of circling the pro- problem yeah. somewhat of like, yeah. I'm going to come at it from this. You come at it from that sure. and we'll see where we end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I'll well, get five words into this first sentence. So uh, Albert Cooper and 
uh, Albert, Cooper, Truman, and Hawk walk outdoors along a path in the woods. Kind of a um, Reservoir Dogs kind of moment of them all walking <laughs> yeah. shoulder to shoulder. Um, Albert says that Maddie was murdered by the same man who killed Laura. That there was an O under Maggie, Maddie's ring fingernail. <laughs> and that she has strands of fur belonging to a stuffed white fox in her right hand. Cooper tells Truman not to make phone calls reporting. And we saw that. We... I don't know if you remember it. It's kind of a throwaway moment. They don't ever really acknowledge it. But um, in the scene a few episodes ago, Leland is sitting on Ben Horn's couch, and he's and he's got his, he's sprawled out on the couch. Oh, he's got his yeah, arms yeah, across yeah. the back, and they're talking. He's like, "I'm back. Yeah. I'm your lawyer again. Yeah. Let's do this. Oh, you can you can move this money and filter it through the canines, yeah. and boom, boom, boom. Yeah, we got this. I'm back. And then Ben Horn's like, "Yeah, you know, we got I got my shady lawyer back and all this yeah. stuff. This is great." And he's just sitting on the couch, and he like looks back and sees this fox, and like pulls a little clump of hair out of it, and then just stuffs it in his pocket. And it doesn't mean anything. Weird. And then they so that it's it's cool that they dropped this little nugget, nugget. and then came back to it. Sure. Um, Cooper asks. So Truman's getting ready to call Maddie's family. Cooper says to wait. I'm making any phone calls about Maddie's murder for 24 hours. He wants to wrap up the case. Um, Albert kind of pulls Cooper aside, advises him to follow his vision quest before there's another killing, and Hawk tells Cooper he is on the path and to follow it. He, I don't remember that exact quote. I'll drop it in here. Cooper. An observation. I don't know where this is headed, but the only one of us with the coordinates for this destination and his hardware is you. Go on whatever vision quest you require. Stand on the rim of the volcano. Stand alone and do your dance. Just find this beast before he takes another bite. God help me, I don't know where to start. You're on the path. You don't need to know where it leads. Just follow. But I like how he says, you don't know where the path is going, but like mm-hmm. follow it. I-, I thought that was a nice, nice twist. Um, so we're going to step into the B plot, which we don't have a ton of in this episode. Um, I guess it's probably a C plot. No, no, no. This is the B plot. Um, cause it, they're at the double R diner. Donna and James are chatting over coffee. James gives Donna a ring. Yeah. And th- I, didn't, I didn't know what size to get. The lady at the store had these enormous hands. And and for some reason, like, it was just a, such a dumb thing to say that I kind of wanted it to, like, we were joking about this. Like, I wanted James to just, like, she had these enormous hands. And then instead of moving on to, like, but I feel like this is going to fit you, just go off. Yeah. For, like, another, like, three pages of dialogue you about how big these hands. hands were. Like, and just have this ridiculous moment. But, like, because the whole thing, like... N- yeah, you all right, Todd? Hey, Daddy. So the dog just woke herself up from sleep and barking well, she's for staring nothing. At me. Anyway, uh, Daddy, yeah. So it, it's a. It's such a. So is he proposing or is it like a promise it's a, ring it's situation? It's a promise ring. It's again, again, one of those moments that like tries to ground them in being high school again, but, but like ex- old timey high school. Yeah, like, like getting pinned. Yeah. Um, it just were promise rings a thing when you're grown up no oh no i knew one woman one woman one girl she's like 16 who got a promise ring daddy's just talking to herself ignore her yeah um 
I mean, I listened to the band The Promise Ring a lot because emo. I bet that'd be a funny joke if I knew who The Promise Ring was. Uh-uh. Super 90s emo band. Now I was into uh, classic rock in the 90s. I was a real cool kid with lots of friends. Um, <laughs> so Promise Rings existed, you just didn't get it. <laughs> dare. <laughs> very dare. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Um, so he gives her this ring, and he does this thing about, like, shit, who trans? But I think... Yoink. Perfect fit. Like, Nailed it. What did that... Like, that sentence... The structure of that sentence was so puzzling because it's structured as like an if-then kind of thing of like, she had this, so this is this. But it's just like, she had big hands. You have slightly less big hands. So by by process of elimination. At least like, oh, the lady at the store said this was going to be too small, but she had big hands. That You just made that make more sense. And I've seen this episode four times. But yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, So anyway. uh, I I honestly, this is a scene that I every time it pops up I'm like oh yeah yeah exactly like I forget like it's also like you you never get like a, a I don't think and I'll whatever but I don't think you ever even get like a wide establishing shot if it weren't for the red tablecloth you wouldn't know they were at the double R like oh I didn't know they that. just it's just all of a sudden just in on them there's this ring exchange that never gets referenced again I don't think never it's so bizarre well and yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's a like they wanted to add some weight to James leaving at the end. Yeah, and I get that, but it's just I don't know. It, it's and I don't know if it's bad writing, bad performances. What it just it just feels out of place. It, it feels a little bit like okay, what are we gonna do with Donna and James this week? Oh, okay, let's find I something mean, to do with this them. Is the best of what the, what are we gonna do with Donna and James? Yeah. Um, I do, I think a thing I forget every time I watch the show is how long the James and Donna relationship goes. Because I think in my head they like hooked up and then the Maddie thing happened and everything sort of fizzled well, see, out. They, yeah, they never really hook up Maddie and James. Well, I mean, it's, they yeah. like smooch. Yeah, but they never like have Get together. A, it's always yeah. the tease of it or whatever. Right. Um, so we get over to the counter where Norma's mother, Vivian, is complaining about her omelets. Um, and I don't want to get too much into this because it's not an important part, but... (laughs) I mean, it it plays on who her character is. She was like, what kind of eggs did you make this omelet out of? Which... What kind of fowl? What kind of fowl? Which, (laughs) in my life, I have never, like, had an egg and thought, like... What kind of bird? Is this a low-quality egg? And maybe, like, my palate is just trash. But, like, the idea of complaining about, like, the quality of the eggs, not how they're cooked. You've complained a couple of times. And, like, I know we want to keep this show spoiler-free. But it's a dumb spoiler, so I don't really care that much. You re- you don't re- I take it you don't remember who she is. Uh-uh. Norma's mom. I was shocked when she entered because I did not realize we had a Norma's mother yeah, to she... contend with. No, don't tell me. Okay. Don't All spoil right. it. Um, and then she suggests, oh God, what did she suggest? Something and these mushrooms that are like. Yeah, some specific type of mushroom. I can't remember. I'll, I'll look it up. But they're Something like. with an M. Oh, ma- Madroni. I'm going to cut this out. I just need to know. Maraschino. Maraschino. <laughs> so they're uh, morels, I think. 
And if I remember, this is these are actually the mushrooms that made me realize I don't hate mushrooms. Because when I was in Montana, they uh, my friend made me an omelet with them. Um, so See, she should have gone to your ranch. But the thing is, the, the way she suggests it is like this is like going into a diner and saying like, you know, it would be really good on this four dollar omelet if you had some black truffle to just like grate out like that is the the level she yeah, was talking at of like ma'am you're gonna get a denver omelet and you're gonna fucking like it yeah it, the problem is this didn't come with a you know dom perignon mimosa right, right i don't exactly. understand you know like it's just a very odd yeah. i mean maybe it'll make sense when i remember or learn for the first time who knows who vivian is um Anyway, that was longer than that section needed. Um, so also, it's this is there. Tim Hunter as a director takes some big swings cinematically in this episode. Oh, color yeah. is v- like every Very color s- pops. Is it saturated. Yeah, but I think it's just that in a lot of previous, like everyone uses these earthy tones and stuff. Like he really hits a lot of colors in this yeah. for whatever reason. Well, it's mid-March in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. the notoriously sunniest place in the world. Exactly. Uh, but it's a very like, er, like a bright, like it almost, I wonder if it has like, now that we know who killed, like the darkness is kind of gone that we know, mm-hmm. like everything's very bright, but he also does a lot of like, Dutch angle stuff, which is like a kind of a tilted yeah, camera. Yeah, and you shot. pointed out that this scene between Vivian and Norma is like they. You often try to cheat when you want to show somebody in a position of power in a in a shot reverse shot conversation mm-hmm. piece. It you'll shoot one a little higher than the other to try to show a little bit. You know, this was this some like really citizen sh- yeah, citizen this is like shit of from like- below the <laughs> counter and then over the top of Norma's head yeah. back and forth where it's like Vivian looks but, four inches but tall, it, but it goes against the scene because in the scene, well, she's uh, trying to belittle her, but, but Norma it's not stand- working. But Norma, st- yeah. Norma stands up for her, yeah, exactly to her for the first time that we've seen. Yeah. Um. Next to. But it's, it's, Usually used as a subtle thing. And it was this not was subtle. very blatant. Um, so down the counter, Andy is eating breakfast and he keeps repeating the French words. You have to say them. I can't speak French. <laughs> Neither can he, so that's fine. Mm. Je solitaire. Okay, that's actually how I would have said it. Good job, Andy. That's- I have a medical condition that I can't pronounce French well, words unless I'm doing I mean, a Schwarzenegger a, accent. A lot of... <laughs> Yeah, your Schwarzenegger accent is very French. Come on! It's it's a lot of like... There's a lot of languages that are hard because it's just... I just didn't... I, the, I grew up speaking... French is so like... Your, everything blends into the next word. I genuinely can't... Like the reason I... Like I look at the that sentence and I'm like, I have no fucking clue. Which is funny because like I grew up doing ballet and there's a yeah. lot of... But I never saw any of those words written. Mm-hmm. So it's very yeah, audible. It's, it's a very... Yeah, just... it's Everything is... All the co- consonants are softened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it like completely flabbergasting to me to hear. So anyway, he keeps saying this and uh, Donna overhears him. And she asks... And- this is the only other moment where you're like, oh yeah, they were in the double R when that happened, when the ring exchange happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like, I don't understand why Andy is repeating this phrase besides to move the plot along. I mean, it's a little bit of that, but also, like, I could see 
this is kind of Andy's way of processing. You know what I mean? Like, he clearly, we've established that he clearly has a hard time seeing death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's one of the people who was there when they found him hanging there. They found the note. And mm-hmm. I think he's just trying to process it and he's doing it out loud. Yeah. Ooh, Lovecraft County just became available at our local library. So I'm checking that out. Good job, Jessica. You're going to try and read it at the same time that we're watching it? Um, yeah, because I'm in the middle of Radium Girls right now, and it's bumming me the fuck out. So I would like some, like, dark fiction as opposed to women whose faces are falling off from radiation poisoning. Spoiler alert on Radium oh, Girls, I guess. That's fun. <laughs> I did, like, that. I haven't read it in a couple days because it's such a, it's so well written, but it's such a dark book that I'm like, it's the end of the night. Like, do I want to watch four episodes of 30 Rock, or do I want to <laughs> read a text about women who where their faces are literally falling off and then the company that did it to them is like, fuck you, girls. It's hard to get in the mindset of it. Anyway, so Lovecraft Country, that should do it, right? About about segregation, segregated America. That'll cheer me up. God, everything's the pits. My book is fun. Oh, yeah, Mikey's... Mikey's gonna talk about this book a lot because A, it's gonna take him three years to read and B... (laughs) if, If it's a book I'm interested in, then I'll read it. Mm-hmm. I read all the Twin Peaks books. Well, you have to I tell them pretty quickly. You have to say what book you're reading. I'm reading "Do What You Want." It's a the biography about Bad Religion, which is one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. So there's gonna be a lot of Bad Religion played in my house in the next little bit. It's like when you watch that documentary on like '90s hip hop, and all you listen to is '90s hip hop for like two months. I'm not mad it's at great. it. It's yeah, no, no. It's 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 just it opens your eyes to you know shit I forgot about it. Yeah, whatever, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so anyway, Donna overhears. Uh, uh, I'm very easily influenced by my media. That's all. <laughs> that's why he watches so much Fox News. J.K., don't you dare watch too soon Fox News. What? Yeah. Okay, so Donna overhears Andy saying, "Jaunami solitaire," um, and she walks over. Because he's just repeating it to himself, and genuinely the worst friendships ever existed. And it's not like I wonder. I wonder how much it, too, because it's not consistent. Even sometimes it's like um, sometimes it's ami. Oh, sometimes, I did like, notice. It's not totally consistent either. So I, part of it might just be like maybe learning French would be cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just it's just quirky and weird, but. I don't think it stands out as being super odd. No, I mean, it's certainly no odder than any of the other shit that goes down, but it's just like a funny little, like, yeah. just pe- it's, people it's talking out loud to themselves. To yes. People speaking out loud to themselves in shows mm-hmm. is generally like a shoehorned plot device of like. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So um, Donna asks Andy about it, and he tells her about Harold Smith's suicide note, which has that. Um, it, that's the end of the thing, or is that the only. That was the note pinned to his chest. Oh, okay. And it means we know I am a lonely soul. I am a lonely soul. So uh, Donna finds out that it was on her on his on excuse me on Harold's suicide note. So Donna says she has to go find Cooper. So um, Donna Cooper and Andy go to Mrs. Uh, Tremont's house. So we saw this house maybe five episodes ago. Yeah. And it's when it it's one of my favorite. It features uh, David Lynch's son mm-hmm. who looks and sounds. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly like a fifty-year-old David Lynch, and he's like nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learn a lot about uh, uh, cream corn, mm-hmm. 
and it's a really eerie. It's one of my favorite scenes because well, it's so perfectly do you, odd and eerie. Do you, remember, do you remember that? That's what when, the kid says. He says, "I have a lonely soul." When he's holding the cream corn, he says, "Je vous aime solitaire." Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, so that's that's what triggered Donna to be like, "Why the fuck did you just say that weird thing?" Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so we first heard learned that phrase from Mrs. Tremont's house. Mm-hmm. The second time we see it is on Harold's suicide note. Mm-hmm. And then this third time is just Andy repeating the suicide note, right? That's right. the sort but of that's iteration what, that's of it. that's what triggers Donna to get Cooper to go back to the Tremont's. Right. So they go to the Tremont's house. She, say, she tells Cooper that Mrs. Tremont tells her about Harold. And her grandson is saying those same words in Harold's note. But they knock on the door. And a middle-aged woman who's definitively not... The, either of the yeah, people we very saw. colorful with these big old sunglasses. Yeah, she on. has like dark curly hair, whereas the other um, the woman who's the woman who played Billy Madison's yeah. mom is Happy the only place I'm ever gonna know her from. But she's got she's very frail and has the white hair, so it's distinctly Francis not her. Something Francis Bay is her name. Um, she identifies herself as so they say is Mrs. Tremont there? Tremont? Am I saying that right? I've always said Tremont. It's, Tremont. I. Everyone kind of says it differently. They clearly did not have a direction about how it's supposed to be. <laughs> it pronounced. wasn't in the show level. Tre- tre- uh, Donna says Tremond. Oh. Like Tremond, Tremont. Like it's it's always a little different it does depending fe- on who says it. It does feel very like Ellis Island immigrant of like, oh, your name is Tremont? It's Tremont. No, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> we don't deal with that shit here. Um, so she identifies herself um, as Mrs. Tremont and uh, tells Donna she could not have seen her mother because she's been dead for three years. That's your favorite joke. It is my favorite joke, and it's always funny. Um, or am I? Or <laughs> I just saw it. I realized in the 30 Rock episode where I got or am I because Tracy Jordan just jumps out of, out of her room and goes, or am I? <laughs> I didn't realize that's where I got it from. <laughs> I'm fun to live with. Um, she has no children, so she couldn't have a grandchild. Uh, when the woman learns Donna's name, she gives her an envelope that she found in her mail the day after Harold's death. It's addressed to Donna in Harold's handwriting. The envelope contains a page torn from Laura's diary. It's an entry for February 22nd, um, which, Laura died. which is the day Laura died. Um, it describes the Red Room dream that we saw in the third mm-hmm. episode, I think. And then you get a really long close-up on Cooper during that scene. Uh-huh, yeah. He does a lot of, like, and it's eye one of acting. His, his hair is very tall. Because <laughs> it's, it's not off to the side. It all is just straight back yeah. in this scene. And it's, like, We see a lot of classic Cooper looks in this episode. Yeah. Um, she ri- oh, Okay, so Laura writes that in her diary that she has to stop Bob um, and that he's afraid of only one man, Mike, who we know is... The spirit occupying the one-armed and then, man. And then there's a nice little bit in there, too, that I like where she says, like, I don't know who Mike is. I don't know what, what that means. I don't know who Mike... Maybe Mike was the man in the chair. Like, she doesn't... Because she doesn't know Cooper. So she's thinking, like, who is Mike? Is Mike the guy who was in that room with me? I don't know. Oh, oh, oh Laura thought... Yeah. Laura didn't know Cooper. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It's just... It's an interesting, like, reminder that, like... Cooper and Laura don't know each other. Yeah, it is a good... You know, like, it's... So she sees him in a dream, but doesn't know who the fuck he is. And same 
the other way around. He sees her in a dream. Well, and but, he knows that, but, he's, but he's never met her. Right. Oh, so she says she just I, I forget that um, Cooper was aged in in the dream sequence because oh, she keeps calling him an old man. Yeah, because I'm like, that's pretty rude. He's like in his 20s <laughs> on February 23rd. So 22nd wasn't the day she died. The 23rd was the day she died. Ostensibly. Otherwise, it was technically overnight. Well, on February 23rd, Laura wrote, tonight is the night I die. Okay. So, so you're right. So if I was guessing. I, okay. You're right. Because um, February 24th is when Cooper, Cooper yeah. yeah. Um, tonight is the night that I die. Uh, it's the only way to keep Bob away from me. Cooper remarks that Laura, he and Laura had the same dream. Uh, he tells Andy to take Donna home, and he goes to see Gerard. And this is, that's a, that's good, that's interesting confirmation of what, the, the breadcrumbs and things that were dropped early on with like Bobby Briggs and Jacoby and mm-hmm. stuff saying like I think she wanted to die yeah like this wasn't a surprise she wasn't taken off like she was ready to go James says the same thing like mm-hmm. she was done yeah. like and that they kind of lost that thread a little bit so this is a nice like revisit to that of like and confirmation that like she wrote in her di- like this was her way to win. Is, yes, this man has oh, been just, tormenting me my entire life. I don't think I, I don't think win is the right word. It's to escape. I don't think so. Really? I think this because she, she wins by him losing. Bob can't. If Bob wanted to uh, embody like all of her, and she was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Uh huh. He Bob basically Bob Bob wants doesn't want to be in Leland. He was a good vehicle. Whatever. Bob wants to inhabit Laura and be her and see who through her eyes taste with her mouth like do we know why is it young they, is it female is it it's hard to it's hard to know they go into that kind of stuff in, in the movie in firewalk with me a lot more okay. um and in the secret diary and stuff like that so some of it isn't but like bob wants yeah. Why I don't necessarily know, specific, you know. Yeah. But he, whatever it is, he's drawn to it. Wants to be her, mm-hmm. in her, and control her, and all that. So the so if she doesn't have a physical body, he cannot do that. Sure. She wins. Sure. So we're back at the station. Cooper is talking to Mike, um, who is riding. Oh, I don't know if we're at the station. Mike's in a bed, right? He's at the nor- Great Northern. At Great Northern. Um, Cooper talks to Mike while Doc Hayward urges Gerard to be given his drug. <laughs> and then stands there all creepy, like, <laughs> with big eyes, like, what the fuck is happening? I and love that Doc Hayward could be lifted out of most scenes. He usually comes in and says, like, one important thing and then just sort of stands in the corner like, <laughs> yeah, got it. Great. <laughs> he should take his medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Cooper urges Mike uh, to tell him how to unlock the dream. Mike says that when he and Bob were killing together, there was a perfect relationship, appetite, satisfaction, a golden circle. Cooper says he gave his ring to the giant. Mike says the giant can help find Bob, but Cooper must ask him first. Bob and I, when we were killing together, there was this, this perfect relationship, appetite, Satisfaction, a golden circle, a golden circle, a ring, my ring. I gave my ring to the giant. He is known to us here. 
And he's real. As real as I. <laughs> he can help you find Bob. How? You must ask him first. How do I do that? As Cooper leaves, he enters. He encounters the old waiter who carries a glass of milk and says, I know about you. That milk will cool, cool down on you, but it's getting warmer now. And he gives a thumbs-up sign to Cooper. Sen- senior drool cup. Is senior Albert drool Lovell, cup. called him. Yeah, I didn't realize we see him. I guess when I saw him in the, in the well, that's, uh, roadhouse. He, uh, Mike slash or whatever says that too, like, he said the giant. The giant. Gave, I gave the giant took my ring. I gave my the giant my ring or whatever. He's, I where can I find? He's like he has a physical being. Is the senior drill clip the physical being of the giant? They're always there together. Every time you see the giant, you see the. Oh dang! The waiter was at the roadhouse when you saw the giant. They're wearing that stupid bow tie. You love bow ties. Well, I know, but you know what I mean. Like they've got the white shirt with a bow tie. Sure. Yeah, interesting. They, they're, you know, I have a physical, and he even says like, so he's a real person, and and then, fuck, well, dropping the line or whatever, but wait, we'll drop it in. I gave my ring to the giant. He is known to us here, and he's real, as real as I. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, he says something. Um, Vague. I don't remember exactly the line. It's not. I know about you. That milk. Will... No, Mike says something when he says. Like, oh, Mike oh, so says he something. Has a, so he's here in real life, and Mike says something about like, in like a vague term of like he has a, a being mm, mm-hmm. or something like that. That's like, he's represented in real sure. life. But is he? A, he's is the real? Is the giant a real person? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. But he's represented in the real. He has a corporeal form. Exactly. So, like, there's the only times you ever really see the giant, you always see the room service waiter. Interesting. Um, In Ben's office, uh, Truman tells Cooper about finding finding a recording of the telephone call that Leland reported, a call to Laura Palmer's number. Um, He notes the stuffed white fox and concludes that Maddie was here. They also, like, this is, like, this is where they get a, you know, boatload of evidence. Yes. Ben Horn and all this. And then there's, like, there's a great... Karen, this There's, like, two, two, like, sheriff's deputies just, like, over their head, the the giant swordfish, they're, like, walking out with it as though that has, like, any, like, it's just, it's a very funny, very, like, that's a great moment when I was saying earlier about, like, these very Lynchian moments uh-huh. within the show. That is a classic example yeah. of like that feels very Lynch. Yeah, like it's this this two shot where they're talking about really important stuff, and then just a fish goes by <laughs> in the background. Like it's wild and silly, but fun to watch. And I, it's whatever Tim Hunter did in this episode, and however you know off screen uncredited stuff Lynch was involved with. I don't know, mm-hmm. but Tim Hunter really not like knock the sensibilities of Frost and Lynch out of the park with yeah. this and he really solidifies He, he that. gets the vibe. Yeah, he absolutely gets it in this episode. Is he gets tremendous. the vibe and wants to fit into that yeah, as opposed to... Yeah. Re- yeah, he's on board. Like, yeah. Um, uh, 
Uh, Albert reports that Maddie died the night before between 10 p.m. and midnight, and Truman says this fits. Quote, we didn't take Ben until after midnight, he notes. Um, Albert gives Cooper the results of Ben Horn's blood test, and we have like a bum, bum, bum. Well, they look at it, and they both just go, hmm. And so they don't, bum, bum, they bum. don't confirm or deny yeah. that it matches. And I think the bum, bum, bum you heard was just you. Yeah, no, I, it was it was an emotional bum bum bum. It oh, wasn't an okay. actual one. Uh, at the sheriff's station, <laughs> at the st- fuck, sheriff station. <laughs> at the sheriff's station, got it in three. A workman adjusts the sensitivity of the sprinkler system, uh, check off sprinkler system. I'll call it. <laughs> while Andy tells Lucy he wants to talk about their baby. Lucy, <laughs> Mikey loves Lucy's performance as always. She's not. She says she's not. Um, certain if the baby is his or if it's Dick's. Like, I thought it was yours, and then you said your sperms were broken, and then you said your sperms are regular, so now it's a 50-50 proposition. I want to talk about my child, our baby. Maybe. Maybe what? Maybe it is our baby, and maybe it isn't. Dick? Oh, my Lord, is he the father? At first I thought you were the father. But then you said you didn't have any sperms. Then I thought it was Dick. But now you say your sperms are back. So as far as I can tell, it's a 50-50 proposition. And then the, the whole time, like, the sprinkler guy is just staring yeah. over them. Like, yeah. what the fuck are these two? Because oh, which... they, don't, they don't have the wherewithal to move less than, like... <laughs> directly underneath the ladder like they don't they don't go into a room they don't even go down the hall like they just have the conversation like at the guy's feet yeah no <laughs> like, and that great. that meet in sky is definitely like me anytime we go out to dinner and like somebody at a table near us is saying something like slightly salacious and i just like start listening to mike he's like can you just talk to me and he's well, not interesting or salacious. usually talking to you and you've tuned me out so that you can listen yeah, to other you're not stranger talk- drama <laughs> Stranger, that was so fun because it doesn't yeah. hurt me. But then, but what the moment where I said I love Lucy's performance is where Andy, like, yeah, puffs his chest out mm-hmm. and goes, like, I need to talk to Richard Tremaine, men fashion. He's on the phone or whatever. And she's like, and she eh. kind of starts biting her finger, like, oh, like, Andy's sexy intrigue. Up, yeah, Andy's standing up for himself. But then and he I immediately is like, I need like, to speak to him right now. I will hold. <laughs> I will wait. Okay, he's not available. I will try him. <laughs> like if it's, it's convenient for you. Yeah, exactly. Andy, where are you going? What are you doing? Andy, who are you calling? I want to speak to Richard Tremaine, men's fashions. Yes, I'll hold. You won't hurt him, will you, Andy? Tremaine Brennan. Andy Brennan. We need to talk. That is if you're not too busy. Um, so that was fun. Uh, but he's still saying all those things really confidently. Yeah, yeah. I will like, hold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Catherine once again disguises Tajimura. I did forget that she only revealed her identity to Pete. Yeah. And not to Ben. So when she showed up, I think I audibly was like, blah, blah, blah. like I thought we were out of the yellow face woods. <laughs> uh, um, she visits Ben's cell with papers for him to sign. Ben says he cannot deliver on the Ghostwood contract. And Tajimura asks for the return of the $5 million. Ben expl- <laughs> he really goes into a lot of a lot of words, and none of them are, I do not have your money anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, <laughs> does, I gave it to Josie. <laughs> That's so, what happened. Yeah. Um, ben explains about Jerry, who is looking for a better lawyer. Um, Catherine extends, oh God, and as he's talking, she like takes off her shoe and sock ostensibly and like sticks her foot through the cell and like has red painted so toenails and only women can have red no, painted toenails. here's the thing and the reason like for as dumb as the Tajimura stuff is and the yellow and, it and is, how wrong the And it is dumb. Is, if you're going to have a reveal, that's exactly the reveal. We've established oh, early on Ben's a foot guy. Oh, did we establish that? Like I think. all of the scenes with them together, he's like licking up on her feet and stuff, and then he goes to get the creepy Elvis doll that they oh, most definitely yeah. use. uses a sex toy. Yeah, but he's a foot guy, so like he recognizes her feet. Mm-hmm. So I think that was actually a clever move mm-hmm. within the terrible scenario that we were in. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the best resolution we could yeah. have. Um, and then and then th- her. Piper Laurie's voice coming out of that face is, is, Laurie, is just fun. Piper Laurie truly feels like a holdover from like old Hollywood. How oh, they like yeah, in the absolutely. 40s, how everybody talked like yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, Can you believe yeah. it? We're driving in this car and a woman's driving. <laughs> Have you ever seen such a thing? But then all of that is like she oh my and then he's like sweet, you know, sweet relief. I can I can work with Yeah. With Catherine. Yeah, Catherine and figure this out. And she's just like, yeah, I'll think about it. <laughs> well, she calls him a slimy rat bastard. She says she intends to make his life hell. Yeah. Um, ben asked her to tell Truman about his being with her the night of Lawrence's murder, which is Ben's only alibi. Um, he signs the ghosthood and the mill over to her as she, and she starts to leave. She tells him she'll consider telling the sheriff and says, quote, we've spent our entire adult lives lying to each other. Why spoil with the truth now? Which is... Great writing. Yeah. So good. And it says... I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. No, no, no. I love it. I I love... Because they're just like these two pretty scummy people who are fucking each other and like fucking over each other Mm -hmm. and have no regard for each other's emotions. And like, what? what, We're going to pretend we care about each other now? This is a really well-written episode. I really like Like, it. Typically... Like, there's three writers credited. Which is usually a mess. Which usually is a bad sign. It usually means somebody wrote it, they hated it, and had to come in and like make a bunch of rewrites but it really feels like if mikey got cut off in the middle of a sentence it's because our dog started barking real loudly and we can't remember what he was talking about so we're just gonna move on mikey got a copy of badlands i did i got badlands and criterion terrence malick film excellent movie excited to watch it again i'm i've never seen it and i'm excited because it is about serial killers and that is up my alley. Would they be considered serial killers? Uh, they're considered spree killers because I didn't yeah. have a cooling off point. But interesting fact, uh, Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis, Bruce Springsteen <laughs> wrote a song about them. Called Badlands. Called Badlands, also Badlands. Also, I don't remember that <laughs> Badlands, also Badlands. All right, so we go back to the Palmer's house where Leland greets Donna, who had come over to deliver a tape of the song she, Maddie, and James recorded so that Leland can mail it to Maddie. Of course, because she needs that good, Here's, good like, song. This was this this was a, a great scene once it started. The premise to get the two of them together alone was sketchy. Which it doesn't seem that... Well, the thing is, like... They had a scene earlier where he specifically talks about, like, you should write her letters. Like, you guys should still talk to each other. Yeah. Like, she can mail it. 
Well, she doesn't have to give it to yeah. Leland to mail. Why the? F- or even if she went over there to get her mailing address, would exactly. make more sense. Something or like, it just it was a very like forced yeah thing. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but I, I mean, they dismiss it pretty quickly. And get sure. To I mean, it was important. a device. And the rest of that scene, I think, is fantastic. Yeah. He recognizes um, Laura's sunglasses that that's Maddie a, is wearing. That's a great bit. Mm-hmm. Becomes agitated. Like, he just is staring at her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, uh, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. The the glasses. Right. Um, it's, it's really, really good. She tells him about the discovery of Laura's secret diary. And they kind of have a back and forth of like, yeah, 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 the cops took it. And she's like, no, 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 another secret dun, dun, dun. diary. Um, and he gets a and he gets a phone call from Maddie's mother, who says that Maddie never came home. Um, and he does that very good, like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure there's yeah. a reasonable explanation, which is and so again, insidious. And again, he drops the. Oh, I took. Yeah, I, t- I took her to the bus stop. I took her myself. Yeah, and like, those are some of the few deliveries that just seem so natural mm-hmm. that. Oh, he's such a good actor, Ray Wise. And we'll get into this in in Ray Wise's monologue later, but how much does fucking Leland know? Because when Bob's talking, he's like, I'm going to pull the ripcord, and all of a sudden... Everything's going to come flooding He's going to remember everything, but like... Do you think Bob is pretending to be Leland, and Leland truly doesn't? Or is... So I think the options are either Leland is... Let's get there. Let's get there. Um, But this is... There's a great... Like, they do the, oh, my God, Bob's in the mirror uh-huh. bit several times. And they do the very 90s way of doing that, which is... It's like a, it's like a cowboy st- switch, almost. Well, like, earlier. Earlier, they do it where it's it's just a static shot, so you can split the frame down the middle. Oh, I see. Combine two frames yeah. together, and one person looks like a different person. Right. There's simple ways that this is a really good, like, it shows Leland kind of goes around mm-hmm. and pans and 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 turns towards the mirror mm-hmm. and then and then also dollies over a little bit so that they can see the mirror and yeah. it's Bob and it's just a really good yeah i assume it's just some kind of cowboy switch be, that... it could be a very which is whatever it is it's very practical cuz it, oh, I mean, it's very effective. this is pre right. cgi shit but like it's just really really well done right. and and just a, another great reveal. And then he pulls the stick of gum out of his pocket. And mm-hmm. What did you call it? Murder gum? Murder gum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Donna becomes upset. Upset. Leland suggests lemonade. Um, then he brings her a glass of... Grapefruit orange, juice? Orange shit. It looked like grapefruit juice like, to me. Like pink. I, is it not just lemonade? I mean, I don't know. Is it whatever he's fucking drugging up Sarah Palmer with so she doesn't know what's happening. But do like, we see evidence that that she gets drugged? Do we see Donna again in the uh, you, you get more information about Sarah Palmer being drugged in Firewalk. No, no, no. I mean, I mean oh. Donna. Like, do we see evidence that Donna has been drugged after she No, drank, but, but I does think, she drink it? She, I don't think she ever drinks it. Okay. I, that's, is he trying to drug her so that it will be easier to kill her? Like, are they trying Maybe. to show off that it's... Did this he, isn't just lemonade. I'm trying to to look back at Maddie's. But it's not Did he pink give lemonade. Maddie? No, it's no. definitely not. It's definitely like an orange color. Yeah, it looks like I would describe it as like when you see. You know what it looks like? It looks like the fucking drink that they have in Midsummer. I knew you were gonna say Midsummer. Yes, because that's and, what I thought too. One, but I thought that was too obscure. The one glass in Midsummer is like everyone's drinking like a yellowish colored 
almost like a pineapple juice, it looks like. And then they've got the period blood in yeah. the, the one guy's cup, so it's a little more orange. Yeah. It looks if like you that. like Lynch, you would love Midsummer. It would be my... It's eerie and uncomfortable. It makes me feel like... It, it, watching Midsummer, I think I've seen it twice, made me feel the way I do when I like see creepy Lynch shit. Of like, it's off-settling more yeah. than scary. Off-settling? Off-putting. Un- off-putting and off. unsettling. <laughs> Found it. Um... Anyway, it's 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 a bizarre choice. And I don't think it would have just been like, well, we don't have lemonade on set. Let's use grapefruit juice instead. Just yeah. That. Like, it's just, why is it orange? Yeah. And maybe maybe it's just red-orange on, like, when they put color filters or like yeah. color, color corrections over it. Um, he puts a photo. Uh, so he startles Donna when he comes back with the lemonade. He puts a phonograph record of... I don't know how to say this. Jatendre, J apostrophe A T T E N D R A I. Jatendre, did I do it? I have to say it. I don't know. I. It doesn't matter. Um, puts this record on, and he has Donna to dance with him. Um, and we keep seeing him flash to being Bob, and thunder is heard. He grabs Donna. Seems like he's ready to attack, but the doorbell rings. And who boy, this transition for him from like being in about to be in attack mode to like, oh, someone's at the door. And he's like touching her face. Oh, like it's maybe. it's yeah. very, very disturbing. Um, like it's it's a muted down version of exactly what happened two episodes ago. Yes. When he actually like same right. location, same everything. Right. Like he's slipping in and out of both mm-hmm. and Which is interesting that they would stage one murder and one would be murder in his house when the original Laura Palmer murder happened in a train car. It's not like that is his sure. spot of. I just they don't have the sets that they. Well, it's convenience and. But it's a, like what I like about the this this sequence versus the actual murder sequence of Maddie is like in the Maddie sequence it seems like he's slipping in and out, like Leland is trying to prevent it potentially, uh-huh. but it's it's going back and forth of I don't want to do this. Oh my god, and then. You know, attack, attack, attack. Right, right, right. And it's kind of slipping back and forth. This one feels like even when he slips out, uh, like a doorbell rings, and he slips out of visibly being Bob, uh-huh. he just seems like he's lying. Yeah. It seems like Bob pretending rather than mm-hmm. slipping back and forth. It seems like yeah, this entire right. sequence, he's Bob. Sometimes he's Bob pretending he's not. Right. And it's, it's. I mean, I don't know if that's just a testament to... Ray Wise's Ray Wise. performance, or how I'm always well going to chuck written. everything up to how good Ray I mean, Wise yeah, is. He's, whatever it is, he's delightful to watch. Yeah. Um. So he goes to the front door, admits Truman, who says he needs Leland's help because there's been another murder. And then he says, "Hang on, let me get my coat." And then doesn't leave the frame and grabs his coat. It, <laughs> like, it was very like, strange. He said, "Hang on," as though like you had he to go to, to another run upstairs, room yeah. or get. Yeah, no, it's it's just right behind him. <laughs> There's a PA handing it to him. It would literally be like if right now I got him, like, wait, let me grab my phone. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Now we can go. Wait, let me grab my wine. Got it. <laughs> yeah. It's never out of our I don't know. I, it's dumb, but I found it funny. <laughs> uh, making the connection, Donna walks through the woods crying, so she suspects or realizes that Maddie is dead. And she starts crying in the, the house, too. Does like, she? it's another moment of, like... That, like, psychic connection. Donna just knows. Mm-hmm. Um, James drives up in Especially with the I mean sometimes yes she just knows but also you just heard a phone call saying Maddie didn't make it home 
then Truman comes in. I'll see, like yeah, it's a pretty. It's, it's not one a, plus it, one equals two. Yeah. Um. So James drives up on his motorcycle. Uh, Donna tells him that Maddie's been killed, and James says they could have helped her. They sit, and then she says, "How?" And he goes, "I don't know. <laughs> Stop pressuring me. I don't know." He, no, my fault. Uh. He says, this is no good. And Donna asks him not to leave. He says, nothing they do matters. And he leaves Donna in tears. And that's... Moving on. Is that the end of the James and Donna love narrative? Uh, or the the end of a chapter uh, of it? She goes after him. In, Girl, you can do better. You're Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah, it's there's there's <laughs> You're dating Kyle McLaughlin in real life. You can do better than James. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's the end of the star-crossed lover sure. type, whatever <clears throat> scenario. But it's 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 the sad part is this is the start of what the fuck do we do with James, which. In my opinion, it's it's there's a handful of bad storylines within Twin Peaks that but the prob like I can forgive the Tajimura stuff because it's he the Tajimura gets one scene in an episode. And it's kind of but it's surrounded by this the rest of this like this episode, for example. There's a Tajimura scene and uh-huh. it's dumb and whatever. But the rest of this episode is good, so you forget about that right. one bad, stupid part. Mm-hmm. That's fine. You can always forget about one silly story. The problem is you get James ends up being like a lead storyline. And it's dumb. It's boring. Yeah. It's just really hard when... And I think this is always going to be the, the challenge of of television although this is only midway through the second season so it's not like they're in the eighth season and just like but it's midway through writing already as much as they've written for the first season right it's it's basically like let's start writing the third season without getting time to sit down and like outline it right um so okay so we cut over to the roadhouse which i genuinely enjoy this scene wonderful i like these big I think a lot of what we see, ironically... Another thing you see, like, in the big wide shot of the roadhouse, you see in the bottom left corner of the frame is another electrical box of A magnet for that kind of shit. But I'm I'm thinking, I feel like usually when we're watching Twin Peaks, and probably most TV, we see pretty tight shots, or, like, an entire room, which is, you know, not especially Mm -hmm. big. And so I... And so despite the fact that they are in the Pacific Northwest where there is a lot of room, we don't often get these big wide shots of an entire right. because everything room. is shot on set. Right. Yeah. Every, um, almost every 90% of the show is indoors. Yeah. So it yeah. feels so different to be get a wide shot of the entire roadhouse and just see our characters sort of milling about. Mm-hmm. I really Because we don't get to see a lot of these people together. Mm-hmm. I think that's why when we see... Um, like that one, that one opening shot where it's like Hawk, Mike, Cooper, yada yada yada, and they're all standing drinking coffee, like leaning against mm. the oh, thing, yeah, like for yeah, two episodes. Yeah, it's fun because we don't get to see these people in a group yeah. very often, and they get like the they're they're every one of these shots with multiple people are these tableaus of great characters, mm-hmm. and shit. like it's. And this, yeah, this whole sequence is full, like, legitimately, they freeze frame on characters because these are just great shots. Like, this this is a tremendous scene. I will say, um, I 
was slightly disappointed because I realized when we brought in all of the main players in Laura Palmer's murder, it's all men. Like, no, like when we, in the roadhouse, it's all men in that room. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting that like, which you don't, I didn't notice certainly that like every suspect, every person involved with her who like is involved in the, involved in the investigation is a man. And I did. Well, this is all the suspects, and they knew the suspect was a third man. But it's also, but it's not just the suspects. It's like their representation because we see um, um, uh, Colonel Briggs come in, major. just like every pr- major, major Briggs. Major Briggs is there, but Major Briggs is they that okay. So Bobby is there only because he had to bring Leo. Major Briggs is there because he found Senior Drulka. Right. So I guess I'm saying, like, why is why is Bobby there and not Shelley? Why is... Like, it's just an interesting thing that, like, somehow after a season and a half, nobody with, like, their hands on the investigation or a person of interest in the investigation is is female. Like, all besides the victim, all of I our mean, women have been... I mean, they know it's a man. I don't, I don't understand your point here. Well, like I said, like it, it was just interesting that says that that like every person in that room was was a man when it's not all the suspects. Leland, I mean Leland Palmer ultimately was, but like Shelley could have been there to bring him in. There's no necessarily reason that that Major Briggs has to. It, it's just an interesting thing that we have a whole run of female characters and somehow none of them have ended up in this sort of climax, like this climactic moment of, you know, because it feels like the last the last scene of like a. Uh, like an Agatha Christie novel of we have all of our suspects in the room and all of their people and all of this. I, I just thought it was just something I noticed that I had never noticed before. Like, obviously they knew the perpetrator of, of, of um, Laura Palmer was a, was a man. Like, I'm not disputing that. It's just interesting that we have a scene with 12 people in it and not one woman is represented. It's just an interesting no. thing that I noticed that that's, that seems very odd for this show because this show seems to be very good at being inclusive of of women, having women generate the plots, and then we kind of get to like this climax. Should have had Shelley wheel and Bobby or something. Wheel and Leo, yeah. Oh, yeah I, I, I mean, yeah. something like it's just intri- it, it just was something that caught my attention that I had never sure. noticed because then I realized like, oh, the only people involved in this A plot are men, and women are all relegated to the B and C plots of each individual episode. It's just something I know. It's not necessarily even a criticism. It's just sure. a thing that I hadn't connected that not just all the suspects, but all of the key witnesses and things like that, all of a sudden, when they need to bring them together, tended to be men. Anyway, um, so Ben is sitting at the booth of the Roadhouse. Uh, Cooper and Albert are sitting at the bar. Uh, Truman brings in Leland and Ed Hurley joins them. Uh, yeah, like Big Ed was there. He wasn't necessarily a yeah. a key player in any of this. He's a bookhouse boy. Um, Cooper tells them to clear space at the center of the room and summarizes the investigation and his techniques. He says they need magic, but someone is missing. The clock strikes 3 p.m. and Major Briggs enters with the old waiter, who had flagged him down. The waiter gives Cooper a stick of gum which Leland recognizes as a gum from his childhood, the waiter says that gum you like is going to come back in style, causing Cooper to recall his dream. Uh, And when he kind of... Which is the last and final. Or, or, never mind, sorry. I was thinking of the giant clues. Never mind. Um, And so we flash back to the dream. We see Laura whispering into old Cooper's ear, 
and we finally hear what she said, which is, my father killed me. Um, the giant appears and drops Cooper's ring onto the floor. Uh, Cooper pulls, puts a stick of gum in his mouth, picks up the ring, and tells Ben to accompany him to the sheriff's office with Leland as Ben's attorney. And as they leave, Cooper flashes the thumbs-up sign to the waiter. Um, to everybody. it's Because they, they cut back, and it's this beautiful shot, though, of... of Bobby Briggs, Major Briggs, Leo. Yeah. Which, fuck Leo. Well, I mean, Leo was a suspect. He was a suspect. But, like, for such a beautiful shot, you're doing this justice for such a garbage character. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, the four of them are all just standing around. And it's just... And they're all kind of, like... These are the people who are like, you're done. You don't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, the people coming with us are the people that matter. And he's... These characters are... Not, like, you're forgotten about, you're out of the, the Laura Palmer story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, they get back to the sheriff's station. Um, it's 3.56, and Cooper tells them to take Ben Horn into, ben Horn into an... Inger- Hoof. Cooper tells them to take Ben Horn into an interrogation room, and Leland says that he wants to begin bail proceedings. Um, but Cooper puts him off. Then yeah, we- he makes, like, you can tell... In that seat, you know, Cooper knows what's up. In the- I did like this way of addressing, like, we know, we now know, I now know it's Leland, but I can't accuse him outright because sure. shit will fly. So we need to get him in the court, in the station by false pretenses, which I really right. enjoyed. And it, but, like, you, you can tell when he, when he knows, mm-hmm. and he knows in the roadhouse, which is why he dropped, like, they, they gloss over the line of Ben Horn, come back with us to the, the station. Yeah, you I might said that bring... he tells Ben Horn to oh, come into okay. the sheriff's office. Gotcha. But the way he like, looks back attorney. and says, like, Leland might, you ain't gonna bring Leland. Like, yeah. it's just a great, like, almost like a magician's force. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cooper puts Leland off when he brings up bail proceedings and then whis- whispered something to Truman. Um, they open the door of the interrogation room and they shove Leland inside and lock the door. And immediately Leland snaps. Snaps. Great. This was, I man, like in lesser hands, this scene could have been a shit show. It could yeah. have been laughable. It, but the earnestness that Ray mm-hmm. Wise has behind I, his there's performance another thing in that scene that I love, which is. There, you see them all standing outside the door looking into the win- the mm-hmm. small window and and with this like earnestness of we need to get back in we need to get mm-hmm. back in and they don't show what Leland is doing but then they just show like the the little bit of hair and blood above the window of the door like yeah pounding so like scary what a beautiful scary and terrifying way to show something without showing you anything mm-hmm. it's so good yeah so Cooper tells Hawk to take Ben upstairs and release him. Uh, ben expresses his shock and says Hawk says it's not Le- that it's not Leland contained in the room. <clears throat> when Cooper explains to Truman what Laura told her told him in her dream, Truman remarks that he needs hard evidence. So Cooper suggests a confession. Uh, they cuff Leland in a chair as Hawk keeps a gun aimed at him. Uh, Truman sa- reads him his rights, and Leland laughs and says, "I suppose you'll want to ask him." I suppose you want to ask him some questions. I suppose you want to ask him some questions, huh? Uh, 
Did you kill Laura Palmer? That's a yes. How about Madeline Ferguson? What do you think? I'm asking you. No, what do you think? That's the question. Oh, gosh, gee, gee, whiz. I guess I kind of, sort of did. I had this thing for knives. Just like what happened to you in Pittsburgh that time. Huh, Cooper? Which is a little bit of a callback, too, to, like, Or when they were barking. Yeah, Yeah, like, what's with the dog noises? Yeah, it's very strange. Um, When Cooper asks if he killed Laura Palmer, Leland Hootson says that's a yes. He admits killing Maddie because he has a thing for... Well, I don't know. Uh, Maybe I guess I kind of sort of (laughs) did. That was a little... that, That was my favorite line delivery, but, like... I liked it. I just, I love, I love it because that's a moment that you can see the fun in Bob mm. and not just the evil. Yeah. He's, he knows he's done, but he's like, that's fine. I'm going to kill this vessel. He's and chaotic move on. evil. But he's just like, he's having fucking fun with it. Yeah. And it's, you, all you've ever seen of Bob is the terror. Right. And the, seeing that the fun side of him killing is mm-hmm. fucked. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he admits killing Maddie because he, quote, has a thing for knives, just like what happened to Cooper in Pittsburgh. Is this our first throw to Pittsburgh? Is this our first? No. I know. They... Cooper and Audrey have a scene together where he talks about Pittsburgh. His, his partner. Yeah. His partner is girlfriend. Both. Okay. Um, you'll get more that, that that's what they're setting up now is this new Cooper storyline, which ends up being because we've mentioned Wyndham Earl, yeah, who's involved in that plot, and then, right? And then forgotten about him, yeah. Like, yeah, you mentioned him. They mentioned him in like episode two of yeah. season two, and then we don't just see him. Fucking haven't heard about him since, right? But they, what they're setting up is the whole Wyndham Earl Cooper X girlfriend. Mm-hmm scenario whatever that is um and it has to do with a stabbing in pittsburgh yeah and you and you kind of see recognition on cooper of like how the fuck did he know that yeah yeah um and the same thing too with like albert and hawk they cut back here and hawk is kind of just like whatever i'm focused on what's happening and rosenfeld is like uh what yeah 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 (laughs) like um, he describes Leland as a good vehicle, but he says it's time to shuffle off. To Buffalo. <laughs> Another dancing reference. When Cooper asks if Leland knows what he's done, he tells Cooper to watch Leland when he goes. Oh, Leland. Leland, Leland. You've been a good vehicle, and I've enjoyed the ride. But now he's weak and full of holes. It's almost nearly time to shuffle off to Buffalo. Does Leland know what you've done? Oh, Leland's a babe in the woods with a large hole where his conscience used to be. And when I go, children, I will pull that rip card and you watch Leland remember. Watch him. Oof. The way he describes, like, I'm going to pull the rip cord and you're going to... Like, it's so... Yeah. Oh, it's so horrible. Of... And, but so well like so all so of, so well written all of this is is dancing on that culpability line yeah in this way that is just masterful it's it's really good and normally i think from a writing standpoint i would have said like well you don't if the if the writing it, 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 it could be done as a 
show don't tell of like you don't need to tell me watch his face when I leave because he's gonna realize what he done what he's done because in theory you could see that all on Leland's face but what this does is adds in but like you said Bob's glee of like watch how fucked this guy is gonna be because yeah. he is about to learn like not only did I kill his daughter but he is about to learn that he killed his daughter and boy oh boy is that gonna be like a fun reveal for all of us and just the words that like pull the ripcord mm. it's just a fucking great expression yeah. to use for that yeah. like it's all just it's you know what I mean because because of the fact that you don't ever really see Bob right you have the one boiler room which was kind of forced footage where he talks where he says the I'll catch you with my death bag right. and does that whole thing which is kind of forced because they filmed that for the European ending and then just repurposed it sure. later. So, like, I don't even know if, you know, that you sit and that happens, but you never really see Bob. Mm-hmm. So you're always seeing it through this Leland lens. Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting to hear Bob speak. Mm-hmm. Even if it is through Leland. Right. Um, so Truman has had enough and they leave the they leave the room and leave Leland in there. Now we go back to the shares. So what, like, let's go on. Like, we started the conversation is, I guess, this is the conversation that they're about to have in the woods. We started this a little bit ago, the culpability conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what's your thought? You started going off on a thing. I don't, okay, so there's a variety of things that could have happened with the, the Leland-Bob relationship, in my opinion. One is that Leland was fully aware. You've never read Animorphs, did you? As a kid? No, no, I did not. Okay. I'm reading Do What You Want, though. Yeah, you are reading (laughs) our book, so I really shouldn't push it. Um, So in... So... uh, It's going to be a long way to say this, but it's how I think about it. Um, So in the book Animorphs, or the series of books, Animorphs. It's Famously, a, David Lynch and Mark Frost are big Animorphs fans. I mean, who isn't? Did so, these books come out after Twin Peaks? Doesn't yes. matter. <laughs> what is time? Is it future or is it past? Yeah, flat circle, etc. Um, but <laughs> uh, so there's an alien invasion, and the thing that they do, and I cannot think of the name of it. It's been a minute since I've read them, but they're these like little goopy aliens, okay. and they go in your ear, and they control okay. you. But they established that, like, it's you know what it's like is um, a better, more recent example is <laughs> more recent than that. How could it be? Um, is uh, Get Out. How okay. they're still present in their body, but they're watching it as push, if they're watching a movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's the same. That's the same thing as like the controllers who okay. have the goop in their brain. Okay. So to me, that's so one possible. Get Out is an anamorph movie? I've always said that. And you know that. <laughs> that was what my dissertation was. Gotcha, I'm a doctor. Gotcha. I'm a doctor okay, of anamorphology. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so I think that's one, one, uh, one possibility. But I think we've established that can't be it because he describes. I'm gonna quote unquote pull the ripcord, and then he's gonna realize why he did. So it's not like he's been a passenger and watching this whole thing. Sure. The other thing is that Leland was completely smooshed and didn't really exist Mm -hmm. and was completely taken over by Bob. All the time? All the time. Or the third possibility is... So with that rationale, 
Leland doesn't know his daughter. Leland. Oh, no, no, Because no. he talks about Bob started inhabiting him as a boy. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay, then I would think the most realistic and most sort of concise version of it is somewhere in between that. The way I see it, I think, and I could be, obviously I could be sure. wrong, is that there is a, it's somewhere between those two things. There's a binary of when Bob is like in control, Cooper loses time, it's blackouts, he doesn't realize what, what he's Leland. done. He's what did Cooper. I say? No, yeah, excuse me, Leland. Loses time, blackouts. Mm-hmm. Or I think even more likely is Bob feeds him memories. Like okay. I, I think at this point my theory is that how often is Bob with Leland in your like that's like well, I he's I don't with, I don't I still have yet to I would say take a stance on what I think has happened. I I've danced back and forth on the culpability issue a lot. Personally. I my personal opinion is that Leland doesn't realize what's happening. He. And he fades in and out with Bob. And then when he comes like, back to being Leland as Leland is, he doesn't remember. I think Bob provides a narrative that makes it. So Bob is telling him, you took Maddie to the bus station. Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. And like, I think he genuinely remembers that. I sure. think that's what he remembers doing. Um, I, oh, I, was I mean, false memories are a legitimate. Oh, for sure. Phenomenon. I yeah. posted to a um, um, uh, podcast on the notes last time around of a podcast that was all about memory and like fucked my shit up. Hmm. Um, but I, you know, I was going to bring up another thing that was, if you've ever listened to the Adventure Zone, they do something similar of like, you know, people just forget who exists. And if there's a chair, like, so. The, the sort of magic of it is your whether it's your brain or whether it's Bob helping you. If like, you know, if we've been sitting at this table and there's always been four of us at the table, and then all of a sudden there's only three, but there's always still a chair there. Like your brain will sort of do some work and be like, oh yeah, that's always been the empty chair that we see. Like your brain sort of fills in the gaps to make it palatable. So if if this is the case, if it's a split, it's Bob. Bob is the puppet master. Bob uh-huh. is pulling the strings. Bob creating false memories when need be. Whatever. He takes over when he wants to. The rest of the time it's Leland. Leland doesn't remember what he did. But does Leland remember Bob? Does Leland no. know of Bob? I don't think so. Could, what's happening then when he says, I remember this man from he lived a few doors down. He would throw matches at me. I think- Who is that? Uh, do you know what I mean? I do, and I'm thinking of an answer right now. Here it goes. It was no, it couldn't be. I was gonna. Is wh- it, what I was going to say was, oh, it was a real person who was Bob's previous inhabitant. That's not the right way to say that, but the person Bob previously possessed mm-hmm. would flick matches at him or whatever, and then at some point, the same way he just did with Leland, but, this person became useless to him. But Leland recognizes the sketch as being that guy as Bob as. The entity that is Bob. Maybe that's how he physical. sees him. Because but everybody he... sees him that way. Like more than one person have seen Bob in the same way. Fuck. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you found the single hole in my theory. <laughs> <laughs> I just, but that's, and that's why, like, that's why I love 
this, this conversation, the thing, because I don't know. I don't have a an answer. But I person the one thing I will say is I can't completely write off Leland as being innocent. I don't think Leland is in in some way he knows. I I, I, I think he loses control. I think a lot of things like that. But I do you think of it as sort of a and I'm sorry, I always use comparisons, but that's just how that's my fine. brain brain works. Um is it like a Dexter thing of like his dark passenger? Like Dexter is the a little bit. Dexter, That's a good way to put it. Yeah, Dexter yeah. is if, if you haven't seen it, um, is a guy, and he has what he calls his quote unquote his dark passenger, which is this need to murder. Uh-huh. Which I think it's an intro because you see this a lot in real serial killers of like Ted Bundy, famously like seemed really was really affable was a good guy to his friends was was and was capable of these like horrible brutal murders but clearly like he had the ability to like ebb and flow of i can't do this right now so Mm -hmm. like i'm at work with ann roll who is a famous crime writer i'm not gonna like kill somebody right now but i can you know go to whatever lake that is is. why i've always struggled with the the scene where he they threaten that he might kill Cooper with a golf club. That's that to me, that scene doesn't feel justified. Well, so okay, like, like here's my question. Like he kills Maddie because Maddie reminds him of Lauren. Fuck that and I'm angry. Why does he want to kill um uh uh Donna then? Because the sunglasses. You remind me of Laura again. Oh. All of a sudden Laura, 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 every you're all encompassing Laura. And all of it, and I'm enraged because he doesn't want to kill Laura. He wants to be Laura. He wants to take over Laura. Yeah. Well, and so he killed her because he because he was like. So I think I think he he then sees Maddie and, and is reminded about Laura and pissed mm-hmm. and kills Maddie. And then Wait, I think why he is he sees, mad at Laura in the first place? Because she gave up. She was willing to die. But what made her his target, do you think? They'll go into that a little bit more so, but okay. in in Yeah, I feel Fire like Firewalk with, with me, me will have this conversation and, again. Yeah. They go into that a little more in, in Firewalk with me and in, in The Secret Diary, if you read that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... Yeah, it's just so... I don't know how or why or what Leland is to blame for, but... He's not blameless. Exactly. I can't. I can't just write him off. Of well, it was Bob. Bob possessed him, and Bob is the killer because I. It was so long, and do you think and it, the fact like, it's? I don't know. It's okay. So to put it back, fascinating. To put it back to terms that I personally am comfortable okay. with, because that's sort of how I view life. Other is, straightforward narratives that make sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, men who adults who um, who abuse small children or their own children mm-hmm. still have the capability again and we've talked about this before of like understand when they are in public mm-hmm. they cannot do, be doing these things they mm-hmm. understand that it's wrong um, but how can I put this um 
I'm wondering if Leland has that instinct or has that desire, desire is a better word, has that like pedophilia desire and has that sydney and were it just Leland were Bob, were Bob never introduced to him he would be able to repress that mm-hmm. but Bob unlocked something dark that was already there in him is i guess what i'm trying to say or caused it or caused it because he like if if what they say is true in this Bob character mm-hmm. inhabited him at uh, as a boy yeah Leland as a human being has not evolved at all like or everything he's evolved has this person has already been there mm-hmm. so how much of it is influenced by Bob or whatever you know what I like mean like Bob is like a cancer or tumor that Leland had to kind of grow around right and, and exactly so it. like yeah and also we talk about Bob like we talk about like okay well how much how much wherewithal does Leland have and what what does Leland know what about Bob what about Bob? That's my favorite movie. Right. Like, let's, for real, let's talk about Bill Murray. <laughs> no. He's taking baby steps to the door. Right. I'm sailing. You know, it's great. Um, no, Bob, what the fuck is Bob? They don't ever really say, I mean, they, Mike tells you some stuff, like, he's a demon-like entity. What the yeah, fuck is that? I don't know that I will ever How? be... Does does Bob without a vessel have any control, or is he like the fucking coronavirus? We're like, I need I need a host, I need something to feed on to exist. Well, it's a parasite, right? Yeah, um, I think trying to find the origins of Bob, unless they do it in a later thing, and I don't remember feels a little bit like a lesson in insanity of like I don't think there's an answer there I think mm-hmm. I think you have to take it for face value of yeah like I think Bob is a parasitic demon okay would be sure would be how I would think it and yeah in which case he gets stronger and stronger when he kills and mm-hmm. when he does whatever mm-hmm. and Leland becomes less and less prominent but you know, for the year between Teresa Banks and Laura Palmer being murdered, was that mostly Leland? Was Teresa Banks the first person Leland killed? Leland, do we know Leland killed Teresa Banks, or do we just suspect Bob, Bob. did? I mean, it would say, yeah. Could Bob have been using another vessel? Um, no, he okay. wasn't. I'm like, or that's another question, though. Does Bob leave Leland and go to other people, or has he? been inhabiting this vessel since he was since Leland was a boy has mm-hmm. he been there the entire time or does he go elsewhere yeah I don't know but and that's the thing I don't we don't have to know this right. this and like what we've just done is our version of the last of this scene right after mm-hmm. Leland dies yes like that's what they're thinking and they all have their own the same way we just did. Mm-hmm. Like, they each have their own approach of like, mm-hmm. well, this is coming from the metaphysical approach. This is coming from the scientific approach. Mm-hmm. This is my idea from the right. whatever approach. Like, Tibetan. <laughs> yeah, the Tibetan method. As though that's a real thing. Yeah. Not just throwing rocks at a fucking <laughs> bottle. Yeah. 
Okay. So, uh, we're back to... We're going upstairs. Dick Tremaine arrives in the station house. Did we talk about this scene in the woods yet? Or is that coming? I thought, uh, I thought that was the next scene. No. Because no. we... Uh, so, wait a second. Wait, uh, Leland hasn't died yet. Oh, okay. Because... I was going to say... We because have, we have to we watch have this... Dick Tremaine light his cigarette oh, to set off the smoke, that's smoke right, detectors. That's right, that's right. Okay. I was going to say... Because that's... That's a jump, and I always it always feels jarring when you have this big moment of like mm-hmm. Bob and Leland in this performance that's just yeah. so big, and then you're like, "Here's fucking Dick Tremaine now." Yeah, but I guess that makes sense. They, I wish they had start instead of starting that scene with Dick Tremaine walking into the conference room, mm-hmm. start that scene with Lucy. Mm-hmm. Lucy's the powerful figure in that scene. Uh huh. Start that scene on Lucy, not on Tremaine walking into the fucking room. Yeah, because it's. Jarring. jarring like a character like this character that i strongly care about just admitted that he killed fucking laura palmer the mystery we've all been waiting for mm-hmm. the next thing you fucking show me is the back of dick tremaine <laughs> come on <laughs> well maybe they just wanted to give you some emotional I, I would have i would have much rather that next scene be instigated by lucy yeah. or at least andy uh, so Dick Tremaine arrives. Lucy takes him into the co- in the sheriff's conference room where Andy is. Um, she tells him that she's going to keep the baby and will depend on a post. And then Papa Don't Preach jumped in my head. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, post uh, will depend on a postnatal blood test to determine who the father is. But regardless of the results, she'll choose between them who will act as the father. Dick's cigarette smoke rises toward the smoke detector. <sighs> I don't want to get too much into this, but it's really fucking stupid because Dick Tremaine clearly does not want to be a father, and Andy clearly does, and what the fuck are we doing here? Like, if she's already decided whoever's the biological father doesn't matter, yeah. it, we're about to just walk, run in circles for a little while. At least this is the only rep I can't do. <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say, at least this is the only time they acknowledge that and they move on from here. But no, you are in, introduced to the worst, fuck, the second worst storyline in all of Twin Peaks. <sighs> okay, so outside the interrogation, <laughs> so we're back to like the interesting part of the show. Outside the interrogation. Cooper's sexy wet hair. <laughs> All right, you know Cooper can get it. Outside the interrogation His room, hair is Cooper. so thick. I know. I just want to touch it with my hands. <laughs> right. Um, I did. I did have a moment when we met Kyle McLaughlin of like, what if I touch his hair? <laughs> and it was in passing, and it was wine fueled. But it wasn't like when he when I like came face to face with him, I was like, I want to touch that hair though. <laughs> so we, okay, so a couple years ago, we met Kyle McLaughlin at a wine tasting event. Like wine, wine pairing event. Really, it was the fanciest rich people shit we've it ever done. Awesome. And, it was so and it was much like, fun. It was a bunch of really rich. Y'all, people. rich people have it made. It was such good food and such good wine, well, and we yeah, hung out with Pablo Blackland and Mikey harassed like him doing the you know the the fancy wine twirling and pairing it with their food, and like me and Jess and like there was like this hippie dip four yeah. or five other people who were there. Because they were Twin Peaks fans, they were because say, they were Kyle McLaughlin fans. I would say we cosplayed better as rich people than the other Twin Peaks oh, fans sure. did. Like for we sure. were trying to. But fit then, in. like the moments of like, oh, will you? T- can we get a picture? And I open my phone and I have like 
the wallpaper of my phone is a red room and he's like oh I like your uh, backdrop there or to which I said my wallpaper is a picture of my husband and I on our fucking wedding day yeah, because you like us more um, <laughs> but but the point being like it was a really fun night that like you quickly got a little more drunk than you anticipate not and, me you as a person not well, Jessica you, but specifically also you. Well, but like, also we you <laughs> but to the point where like at the end of the night he was going around and it was like so we bought a couple of bottles yeah. from that night um, why are we throwing around money like that had I just started a new job and I was like I mean maybe I just it wasn't that much it was like 300 it, it, bucks for no it was like it was like a hundred bucks a piece I think for the event oh and then we bought the wine yeah and whatever so it wasn't all that much. It was truly delightful. And Mikey ate scallops, which and, is still well, the thing was, that's blowing my mind. <laughs> but it was just, it was a fun, like, the they came to a place that was like three doors down from my office. Yeah. Like, this was... It was Shaw's Crab House? Uh, Joe's, Joe's. Joe's. Yeah. Joe's Crab Joe's Crab Shack. <laughs> we all had to no, work bits. No, Joe's. <laughs> Joe's. What's it Joe's Seafood, I think. Joe's Okay. Um, it's but, like it, in, but it was, uh, but it got to the point where like, I was drunk enough to that like. <laughs> so Kyle comes up and he's talking to us. Oh, thanks. And I was oh, we're big fans. You know, that's what that's why we heard about this. Uh-huh. This is why we're here. Whatever. And I bought a wine. He's like, oh, do you want me to autograph? And I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. So he's like starting to sign it. What's your name? Starts to sign it. And he's like, anything special you want me to write? And I was like, I don't, I don't know why, but my first reaction was, I don't care as long as it's from the Flintstones. <laughs> So he wrote some shit on there about like, and let's all be honest, Kyle was probably pretty drunk too. Yeah, that's like we true. were ne- right, like we may have been the drunkest in the I room. I never made that assessment, but that's a good. Point. He was slam jamming wine like with the rest of yeah, us. That is true. Because also he made fun of me because I kept calling he, him. Mis- so, he talked about evil Van like Vanderclaw or whatever his name is. In oh Twin my Beaks. god! And he wrote some not shit in Twin and Flintstones. Flintstones. Yeah, what did he write? Well, I would, he came around to our table to, like, do the thing of, like, you paid money to be here. Um, yeah, because he was drunk when he wrote it. We all know that. Um, but he, I kept calling him, like, oh, Mr. McLaughlin. And I would ask him a question about, like, season three or something equally fucking tiring for him. And he was like, I really like that you keep calling me Mr. McLaughlin. I was like, I'm extremely polite, okay? And yelled <laughs> that at him. Yeah. So it's sort of, I don't know. And also, I will never forget for the rest of my life, we sat at a table and there was this one couple who were like obviously they fucking left they left okay two things two important things one this woman wore a crisp white button down shirt to a well, wine tasting we also oh yeah that's bold so we also sat at the table with the these old hippies owner of oh the because uh, it was it was pursued by bear yeah shout out pursued by bear yeah pursued by wine hashtag pursued Inco- by wine incoming sponsorship um and another winery <laughs> Was there too, and the owner of that winery was at our table. Yes, and she was so interesting. She just she held great. court the whole time, like was telling stories, just a so genuinely good. like so fascinating good. woman. That was a really really fun night. It was so and fun. Not Rich people of, have so like, much good shit even going if it for them. Wasn't Kyle McLaughlin like that was a oh. fun ass night? It was like a fun wedding without the shitty wedding stuff. Bingo. Like, if you went to, like, your richest friend's wedding, that would be the kind of thing. Like, it was, was like, six-course meal. There was wine pairing with every course. Well, because it wasn't really a meal. It was just, like, a very... It was how rich people eat meals. Yeah. It it, it was, like, six courses of, like, 
tapas, basically. And then this motherfucker in her white shirt, who spilled zero wine on her shirt, she and her rich husband get up and leave. And so Mikey and I, the class (laughs) acts that we are, just grab their... Listen, because they had a bunch of, like... They were doing the thing. Okay, here's the other thing. You get you get a short pour. Yeah. It's not like a single sip, but it's not a full glass. Right. So you get a short pour of each wine to taste it. They would take their sip. Okay, I know what this tastes like. And then put the wine down. They weren't trying to get drunk, which is wild. Well, we weren't trying to get drunk either, but I'm also not going to not drink the wine that's there. You know like, what I mean? Like, it isn't for a purpose of getting fucked up. It's just it's a pleasant side effect of it's it. It's a I paid a hundred dollars and I get to drink all the wine that's in front of me. This fancy ass wine. I'm going to drink the fancy ass wine and that's you, in front of me. And this is obviously in pre-COVID days, because we literally just like it was like an Alice in Wonderland when they're like having the tea party with the Mad Hatter and the, and they just like move three three seats down. They're like, there's more cake here now. Exactly. And Mikey and I just moved three seats exactly. over and we're like and there's like this dope old hippie couple who I was, they wouldn't stop talking about how pot was going to be legalized. And I was like, cool, I guess. Yeah, but they were awesome. I loved their vibe. And these people they left. reminded me of my aunt. Yes, totally, totally. And I, we, Mikey and I like, and they're probably in their what, 50s. And Mikey and I looked at them and I'm like, is it really trashy? Because somebody's like, do you, how often do you do these? And we're like, <laughs> I was like I, that's my boy Kyle right there. I'm a big fan of his show that he was on 30 years ago. <laughs> so like pretty much that's why we're here. Um, anyway, so we drank a lot of wine. It was Speaking of a little bit drunk. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We might be. You might be. Speak for yourself. I'm drinking this. Will you have a taste of this and don't tell me if you like it? I'm not sure if I do. Um, So outside the interrogation room, Cooper says Ben Horn's blood type was wrong. He points out the action. (laughs) What? Segways are incredible. It wasn't Segway. It was just. It was. Can you tell me to drink of this Zinfandel? Also, so they're outside of Cooper's. Yeah. Well, now I don't have a drink in front of me, so I'm not compelled to stop talking. Um, Outside the interrogation room, Cooper says Ben Horn's blood type was wrong. Is it too smoky for you? That might be it. Yeah. I was, I'm not I crazy about malty, it. malty, but that's the That's wrong beer, ingredient. and you don't like malts and beer either. Yeah. Um, it's that same, yeah, smoky, I think. It's too smoky. Um, he points out uh, the action of the dwarf in his dream was dancing, and he pointed to Leland's compulsive dancing, which to me felt a little backfill. This, I was going to say the same thing. This, it was retrofitted. This is, this is, and then, you know, oh, he had gray hair, and then Leland's hair turned gray. And first of all, Leland's hair turned white. Yeah. Like... A little bit of the yeah, that a, a lot of that feels retrofitted, but enough so we're all allow it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm fine because that. also that's exactly what Cooper's doing mm-hmm. is retrofitting, retrofitting his dream to match the scenario. Yeah. Um, the man uh, next door to Leland's grandfather was Robertson. Mike said the people Bob inhabited were his children. Son of Robert, the name being spelled out under the fingernails. Which, that wasn't new information. No, we knew Robert before. <laughs> like, that was weird. Oh, the oh, oh. Um, but, it, but it confirmed it, I guess. Like, sure. Or, you know. Uh, Leland killed Laura Palmer because she was on to him, um, as he learned from her diary. Leland placed the call to Laura from Ben's office. Cooper suggests that Leland killed Maddie because she reminded him of Laura. Leland starts reciting the Fire Walk With Me or poem. He, what, what I like about that scene is that's my take of Bob, kill, Bob slash Leland killed Maddie because of 
you remind me of Laura uh-huh. and you're leaving and I can't let you get away again. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddy also says, or Maddie figured it out. And, but, which isn't what happened. Right. But it's, it's in a, de- a detective's oh, sure. approach of saying like, let's find reasons why this might be. It's sure. either this or it's this. Sure. Both of those seem reasonable. And I like the approach that he's still a detective. Mm-hmm. He's not a super natural like, know it all right he is still using detective methods uh-huh. with you know this other otherworldly approach to it but he still says you know it was either this or it could have been this mm-hmm. but either of those point being there is a potential motive right and i like that um leland recites a poem and screams the last line fire walk with me um, Dick's smoking causes a sprinkler system to go off. Remember the sprinkler system in the first act? Check off. <laughs> uh, to go off and Leland slash Bob goes ballistic. He hoots and beats his head against the door repeatedly. They open it and find Leland. So, so well. Oh my God. So it's well. so scary. So well it's so deeply scary. And then also like during the entire scene, every time there's a wide shot where you can see that door because of the water, you can see the blood just like running. <laughs> the door. Yeah. So good. Um, they open it. They find Leland on the floor bleeding. Uh, Cooper kneels beside Leland, takes him in his arms. I don't think Neil. He kind of like he just sits in a very almost like childlike way of like the way he's like kind of cradling his head and sort of has his legs mm-hmm. crossed and splayed out in front of him. Um, before he dies, Leland remembers that he killed Laura. Ugh, so heartbreaking it's and i like what i like about this too is the start of it is that when he talks when bob talks about like i'm gonna pull the ripcord you just think that means he leaves but he's more opening the floodgates of but yeah but like he also like seemingly pounded his fucking way out wait you think bob was banging his head on the wall as a way to get out yeah Oh, I read that as he was trying to destroy his vessel. Same thing. But I don't. I, I guess I'm like, saying like the he way, didn't. Like if he was buried underground, he's ripping the dirt around to see. To I don't. I don't read it that way. I read it as he's done with his vessel, so it should die. Not it's done with his vessel, and he and it has to die for him to move on. I think he could have moved on. I think he could have left Leland on his own. And he chose to destroy to destroy Leland out but of spite. But I think I think the destroying is all of that is part of the pull the ripcord bit, because he also wants Leland to get all that information back. Yeah. If if he just if he was done with the vessel and just killed him. Yeah. Then he wouldn't get all that information back. Right. Because yeah. he could have killed him immediately or whatever in some way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. he it, wanted it just... this moment of. Leland to, to have everything come back. It just, to me, to me, the best thing I can compare it to is like somebody commits a crime, steals a car, or steals a car, commits a crime. It was the same thing. And then, Stealing well. Stealing a car is a crime. You, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a movie. Yes, maybe. I mean, I definitely have. I, I'd more likely steal a movie than a car. But neither is off the table, you know? <laughs> um, no, it just, it just, to me, it recall it, it sort of invokes stealing a car to commit your crime or whatever order that you're doing it, and then you're ditching the car, and you're just going to beat the shit out of it, just like, 
just for some visceral reason of it's not you're not punishing the car you're just like have some aggression and maybe yeah i mean but I mean, that's not based on anything that's sure. just how i read it but either 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 approach being he's done with this but you still get that moment of for the first time maybe for the first time in the entire series you see leland yeah and his oh my god his realization his sobbing mm-hmm. oof um, he says that they wanted Laura, but she fought him. Um, she would not let them in, so they killed her. Cooper comforts Leland and tells him that he, the time has come to seek the path and to enter the light. Um, meanwhile, they're, oh, it's such a beautiful scene because it's Cooper kind of cradling Leland's head. It's water is pouring down. Cooper looks great in a rainstorm. Co- I, I've heard that in some interviews or something McLaughlin has referred to like this this sequence is one of his favorite shots in the entire series it's stunning and it's probably because he, he looks, looks fucking hot. dope <laughs> but He's like so but it's also hot. because and he claims you know he talks about it being like it's just such a sweet scene but it's like sad. like the choice to make it all wet is yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... It's, it really was something that I never adds, would have thought of in yeah, a million years. It adds this element that, like, it's like a baptism, mm, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, everything gets... All the evil, all the sin, all the whatever is being washed away. Yeah. Yeah. And you're... So you're saying water is a metaphor for something? I can't figure out what No? <laughs> okay. We'll spend another two hours on okay. this podcast and try uh, to work it out. No, I just... I think... Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, a, it was a beautiful choice. And yes, the whole having the guy fix the sprinklers is a little forced or whatever at the beginning. But at the same time, like, it's the only way it makes sense because everybody smokes in that building. And then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. Um, ugh, such a good scene. So be- it genuinely is beautiful. It feels extraordinarily cinematic. Good mm-hmm. morning, oh, Daddy. Yeah. Oh, she smelled a fart and she had to wake up. Our dog's afraid of her own farts. She's a literal idiot. Uh, Leland says he sees Laura in the light, and then he dies. The next morning, uh, Cooper, Truman, and Albert encounter Major Briggs on the path in the woods. Truman remarks that Leland was completely insane. Another example of, like, color. Like, Major Briggs' suit in this scene is blue. Blue. Like, it's always blue, but it's, like, fuck it. It looks royal blue blue as opposed to, like, navy. Yeah. Um, When... Also, uh, like... It's this. This is a, another element of how this feels like a Lynch episode, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. Is that like all of a sudden Major Briggs is back? Yeah, yeah. Like, he, like Lynch just brings back the characters that he likes. Uh, just figure right. out how to get him in this scene. Right. Like, oh, he he saw the room service waiter on the side of the road, so he drove him here. That's how we got there. That's fine. Perfect. Whatever that works. Oh, he just happened to see these guys in the woods. Major Briggs is there. Right. Like, because I want this guy like. And granted, he's going to have a little bit of a larger role. He, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny. Like, it's, let's bring this character back that we've neglected. You know what I just thought? I really like Major Briggs' character. I really like Bobby's character. But man, what shitty casting to cast him as father and son. They could not look less alike <laughs> if they tried. Here's, Major Briggs is like kind of ginger colored. He has small features. He's, Sort of a, a, a like a broad-shouldered guy, but, but kind of round. But he looks like his mom, Charlotte Stewart. 
don't know who Charlotte Stewart is. Is Charlotte Stewart the character or the actor? The actress. Little House on the Prairie and shit like that. You think I've seen Little House on the Prairie? I, I wasn't born in the 40s like you were. What was her name? I forgot it. Charlotte. Charlotte Stewart. Stewart. She looks like Bobby. I think Bobby looks like Charlotte Stewart. And it's one, it just seems like one of those examples of <laughs> he looks like his mom, not his dad. Oh. Right? I can see that. They, they look um, enough alike. Um, Narrowish features and, and stuff. Like. Oh, yeah. I guess I see it. I just saw pictures of the first picture I saw. I was like, I think she's Asian. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's. There she is when she's younger. Oh, I guess. Yeah. And like, it's hard because she always has like the thick bangs, so you don't see her eyebrows. And Bobby's eyebrows sure. are very prominent. But I could see it. Anyway, does regardless. That definitely will get cut out. Um, uh, Albert says that people saw Bob in visions. Uh, when Truman says he has trouble believing, Cooper asks if it's easier to believe a man would rape and murder his own daughter, which is. I don't know, like, as an FBI agent, that feels woefully naive to me. How do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean naive? Of, oh, you think it's more realistic that a man was haunted or that a man would rape and murder his own daughter? I think I, it's highly more likely that a man I don't would think, rape and murder his own daughter. I don't think it's a matter of likeliness. I think it's, it's, it's Truman says, I'm having a hard time dealing with this. Mm. And Cooper says, is it easier to deal with this? Because the, the alternative to believing this yeah. is... Because we know. We know the Leland body did this. Yeah. That happened. We know that now. Is it easier to... Be, like, basically, he's telling Truman our exact conversation of what's easier for you to move on? Acknowledging that, oh, he was possessed. Oh, and, okay. And... So he wasn't entirely on the hook, or that this guy that you knew and loved and was a you know upstanding member of society, yeah. raped and murdered his own fucking daughter. Okay, which is which is easier for you to wreck to you know which acknowledge I and guess move forward with in that context of him just trying to like help Harry through that's it. That's what I got. What I got was like, what do you think is more likely that demons are real or that a man would murder his own daughter? Which like we yeah. know men are. And women, but mostly men, are capable of, like, horrible things. And to me, it seems wild that an FBI agent is like, yeah. what do you think, people That's... just go around abusing their daughters? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's no, I, constant I, I, I don't, and horrible. I didn't even consider that, which is fun. I didn't even consider that that's what he was trying to do. That's with... so funny. I mean, that just speaks to, like, the kind of media we consume is, all yeah. the media I consume no, is, I, like, about I, men being terrible. My, my entire thought was, like, absolutely, that's a possibility, but is it easier to, for you to deal with? Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to put some of the the blame on Bob so yeah. that it's easier to deal with. Yeah, I because guess I kind of that's fucking hard to deal with in a small community that this person you knew and loved was capable of such things. So to have some way out of being able to, well, at least he was possessed or whatever. Yeah, yeah, gives you some like comfort in that okay this guy wasn't just a monster for no fucking reason yeah and i understand what you're saying but i guess i re- i think the way he phrased it is is it easier to believe a man would rape and murder his daughter and as opposed to leland would rape and murder his daughter because to me it seems like sure 
any evil that men do, it, it feels like giving a little bit of a, a pass of like, oh, that guy murdered his daughter. He's possessed by a but demon. But then that's also... And it doesn't... You know, leads into what you just said, which is what Albert says, which is, what is Bob? Yeah. And Bob is just the yeah. personification of the evil that men do. Yeah, I want to drop in this whole conversation. It's wonderful. Here. I, but I love... Wait, I said here. He was completely insane. Think so? But people saw Bob. People saw him in visions. Laura, Maddie, Sarah Palmer. Gentlemen, there's more in heaven and earth than it's dreamt of in our philosophy. Amen. Well, I've lived in these old woods most of my life. I've seen some strange things, but this is way off the map. I'm having a hard time believing. Harry, is it easier to believe a man would rape and murder his own daughter? Any more comforting? No. An evil that great in this beautiful world. Finally, does it matter what the cause? Yes, because it's our job to stop it. Maybe that's all Bob is. The evil that men do. Maybe it doesn't matter what we call it. Maybe not. But if he was real, if he was here, and we had him trapped, and he got away, where's Bob now? Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I love, I think it's a delightful, I use delightful way too much. I, it's a, and I would not say this is full of delight. I would say this is a right. grim realization yeah, of the evils of man. But I so dark I the con like, of man. I like that approach of saying like, yes, it's supernatural, but also it's somehow the amalgamation of all of the evil in the world. Yeah, created this thing. The, this thing spawned, and we'll get into that in more detail in season three. But the idea that where did fucking Bob come from? And it's almost as though he was birthed out of man's evil. And I love that about this sequence. I love that approach. I love that idea of like, if you put enough fucking evil out in the world, it's going to turn into something. It's going to like, it's like taking the evolutionary biology, scientific approach to surrealism or supernaturalism Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, it's going to turn if you put that much evil out it's eventually going to turn into something and it personifies itself in this bob form which you know yeah yes i i i I, I, that's honestly this is part of why i love albert so much is i feel like of all the these people talking about their conversations truman is just kind of the naive i don't i don't know how to make any sense of this and cooper's like well it's evil it's this. It's this supernatural entity that's easier to understand. And Duh. Albert's trying to find the Major Briggs wax philosophical with dropping fucking Shakespeare lines, and oh, and then Cooper and 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 Rosen uh, Albert is the only one who says like, it's a combination of all of this shit. Yeah, and I love that approach. I he's the one who I think hits the nail closest to the head. Of all of these guys in their conversation. Yeah, and I will say, and I don't 
I am I really like this episode and I specifically really like the the writing I want to say that I'm putting an all-time moratorium on using the Hamlet quote, there are more things in in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt in your philosophy. It is such a, maybe, and maybe it was really original, maybe he was the first person to discover this, like, Hamlet line, but it, 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 to me, I've only ever seen it used in a context like this of, like, some whack shit happened, and instead of trying to resolve it, all we say is, I don't know, man. There's a lot of shit going on in the world, yeah. and you don't know it, so this is probably um, true. I, I just feel it feels like a lazy, like a a high minded laziness. There's a couple of things. Like if I drop in Shakespeare, sure. all is forgiven. There's a couple of things in this episode I think end up getting used more prominently in other things later. Like you said, I I don't know. I've heard that quote taken from you know obviously it's used in hamlet yeah but it's used in many other things in a in a in a like you said an art list this like cool yeah it's a short it's a high-minded way to say like i don't know yeah exactly um and i feel like i've seen that used but there's a couple of things in this that the shot of bob leaving leland Mm -hmm. is straight up Andy Dufresne from the end of Shawshank. Totally. It's the, the fucking lightning strike, the color, it's arms spread and it's spinning wide. Roger Deakins, one of the best cinematographers of all time. If he hadn't seen Twin Peaks, I would be very, very surprised. You think that he... Oh, I, think oh, that, I see what you mean. I think the shot in Shawshank, which came out three or four years later, is a direct ripoff of this shot. This shot is almost... Ex- it's the fact that it's wide, it pulls up, and slightly spins. It's almost exactly the same shot in Shawshank Redemption, which went on to be one of the most famous shots of all time. Sure. Um, also, a little bit lesser known thing, but the way Bob is leaving, when he's like, presumably that's what I took out of it, with the, the pan through the multicolored woods at the end, mm-hmm. before you see the owl. Mm-hmm. Looks almost exactly like the movie Fallen, the Denzel Washington movie. Never seen it. I thought we've watched it. I think Um, it's the the movie where the demon passes by touch. Yep, you're right. I was wrong. And they use they use that same. It's yeah. It's Denzel Washington, Donald Sutherland. There's a bunch of people in it. Um, It's a good movie. I enjoy it. But I obviously do not remember it very well. It there when the demon is is not in a form Mm -hmm. that's the exact look it does it's this camera spanning through the woods but it's like kind of fucking lost with the smoke monster a little bit of they do pov yeah but it's also like the the it's the the color and the slowed um shutter speed of the camera Mm -hmm. that almost directly is fallen Mm -hmm. um interesting but it's just it's it's intriguing to me that so much came out of this particular and I feel like there's one or two other things that I noticed being like hey that kind of looks like this thing that happened later this episode did a lot of that mm. and it's it's intriguing I don't know yeah, but great. but the big one that jumps out to me is that that shot of Bob's liberation from Leland or whatever being almost exactly Andy Dufresne yeah that's pretty fucking it's, wild and it's the it's the lightning strikes mm-hmm. it's 
the way it's dark and then it blew the light up. Like, it's wild. It's wild how similar that shot is. Yeah, there is definitely a uh, a very, like, 1960s horror movie uh, version, not version, but, like, look of this. Because anytime, like, Cooper says something dramatic, there's, like, a lightning crash. Oh, it feels says anything dramatic. Yeah. Well, and I love, that's a bit that, I don't know if that's, that's probably been used again or whatever, but I love that they do the lightning strike in that scene in the double R, or not, I'm not the double, uh, the roadhouse. Uh-huh. They do the lightning strike, and then they freeze frame the lightning strike, so everything looks blue mm-hmm. with the lightning strike, and they do a look at all the players still frame of yeah. this is the exact moment during this very brief lightning strike mm-hmm. of where everyone stands. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think that's... That was beautiful. It's maybe a little cliche or silly now, but I think for 1990, that was an incredible use yeah. of a cinematic technique well, and in, I think also in television, especially. When, when you're talking about a movie that has as many active players as Twin Peaks mm-hmm. does, you definitely need to have a moment like that of like, don't forget, here's, here's everybody's who, who here. Everyone who's here in an, and in a cool way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're about to wrap it up. Um, Briggs asks if it matters and uh, what the cause is, and Cooper replies, yes, it's our job to stop it. Albert suggests maybe it's that's all Bob is, the evil that men do. And it may not matter what they call it. Uh, Truman agrees and says that if Bob were real, he's gotten away and questions his whereabouts. And then an owl flies by a crashed car and through a ravine. I don't know. That's what it says. <laughs> so, I didn't get that it was there was a crap. Like I just, mm. I just read what TwinPeaks.com. Yeah, I. It's the owl flies directly into the camera. Yeah, which I think is more important in that because we've talked about this before. Are you questioning the, the wind- wisdom the of TwinPeaks.com. The only time you see characters look directly into the camera, it's Bob climbing over the couch. Mm-hmm. It's Mike saying the gifted and the damned mm-hmm. and this the owl flying directly into the camera these are black lodge entities or these sure. are whatever yeah sure all right um and that let me know what you think ah! I, I'm, no I'm, I'm curious if anyone has any we've got at cooper duper pod now on twitter mm-hmm. um we've Cooper-duper got co- cooper duper pod at gmail.com mm-hmm. but i'm curious about i'm the one thing that I've never been able, like maybe not the one thing, but the one of the things I've never the been only unclear thing about Twin right, Peaks. One of the one of the big things that's a huge element of this show that I've never really one hundred percent locked down within myself is the culpability of Leland, and I am I'm very interested to hear what people think as far as what we've said, what mm-hmm. I've said, what you've said, what they think, or sure. what I'm not considering, or whatever, because I. That's a thing that fascinates me that I don't know that I'll ever get a, a definitive answer on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we're rounding up on in two hours. So uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.